right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of That Record Got Me. Hi, I'm your host, Rob Elba. It's wonderful having you all here with me. How's everyone doing, friends? Friend, you know, I work <laughs> where I work. A lot of people they call uh, they call people friends. They go, "Hey, friend, how you doing, friend?" And they say it to uh, passengers. You know, I I work for an airline, and they go, "Hey, friend." I don't know if I like that because they're not obviously they're they're not you aren't friends with these people. So, uh, but but you all listeners, I am I, I consider you all friends, and I hope you realize that. And that uh, that ties in, I think, to the episode we're doing now because my guest is is an interesting guest and i think it's good for people to know that my guest today is tom laurie and tom's been a been a fan of this show for years and he's been a, a patron of the show for, i think for five years maybe going on five years so he was a really early on patron and tom is not a music uh guy like as far as the business he's not a musician he's he isn't a music writer nothing he's just a fan he's a music fan and i and and he's been on the show a whole bunch of times and he's great and he's a great guest so it's just it, it's good for people to know that i yeah i have a lot of musician guests and i have guests that maybe are in the music business one way or another but also just regular people just regular music fans and sometimes you know i i always say sometimes the the real fans of music are the ones that don't play music because sometimes when you're in when you're too close to it you kind of you feel like you kind of see behind the the curtain a little and you just can't listen to it you know just totally just for what it is and enjoy it and not and not like overthink things so i think that's good i think tom uh as always he is a great guest as you will see and this time he brought in an album that i figured at some point someone would bring because it really is a classic we're gonna talk the soft boys and underwater moonlight and uh yeah it was great so uh wait what did i mention what did i say tom was did i say he was a patron of the show yeah that's right he's a patron and if you say what is that rob i think if you've been listening a while you should know patrons are people who become patrons of the show and how do you do that you go to patreon.com forward slash trgmh and for as little as two dollars a month you could become a patron of the show. You could participate in our patron-curated episodes. And maybe, you know, like Tom, you could end up being a, a, a guest on the show, uh, which he has been, like I said, many times and here again. So here is me and Tom talking the soft boys. Are we recording right now? Well, of course we are. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> all right, I'll stop right there. <laughs> That's all right. I won't, I won't put anything slanderous in. <laughs> I mm. promise. All right, so this so was it hard for you to pick? Because uh, I know you're like a huge music fan, and you you know mm-hmm. you have a a wealth and a breadth of musical loves, and you could have gone in any directions, right? Yeah, this one was tough because I've liked this artist for almost forty years now. So which one would I pick? Right, and right. Because you, you were waffling about just doing a Robin Hitchcock uh, album, right? Right, right. So I picked the first one, you know, Fegmania. My wife lies down in a chair and peels the pen. I know she's there. I'm making coffee for two. Just me and you. But I come back in with You know, because you wanted to maybe do that, and we can always do that again. I, I imagine... That someone else will do another one of his or him and the Egyptians again. So 
It's been mentioned. Yeah, it's a couple people have mentioned it, but they've you know how people will say a record, but then when it comes, oh, I think I changed. So it's been mentioned like at least twice other um, uh, of his records, Robin Hitchcock, at least twice by two other guests, but no one's pulled the trigger. All right, but you went with I went with the Soft Boys Underwater Moonlight. Yeah, and uh, it's the second album by the Soft Boys. Uh, they didn't need key before this, but. Uh, it, it just holds up so well. It's a fantastic album. Love it to really death to this is. day. And you know, it, it's almost like you know, I, I haven't. You know how it is. I haven't listened to it in uh, in a while, and mm-hmm. I forgot. It's almost like you would say it's a greatest hits. It could seem like a Soft Boys greatest hits record because, <laughs> but they're all it on one is. record. <laughs> yeah, like they saved up. The, you know, they did an album before this called Can of Bees, and it has a couple good songs on it. I've forgotten what it's like. If I ever knew at all I've slept on broken glass And drooped against the wall And uh, a great couple outtakes, but uh, with the exception of one song, and we'll talk about that, this song, this album's almost perfect. Right, you know, right. It is short, 35 minutes and some change. And there's not filler on any of it. Even the song, I think, is kind of okay. Uh, yeah, a banger, one banger after another. And I forget, because, you know, um, when you use the different, like, streaming service, the one streaming ser- uh, service that I will not mention now, but, and, and they give you, if, <laughs> and they'll give you, if you do, used to do, like, playlists, they'll make, oh, if you like this, you'll, you know, and they throw, sometimes you just listen to a playlist that they put together. And I would invariably uh, get songs uh, from this, all different songs from this record, you know, just because, really? uh, yeah, just, I, I guess just because it makes sense because they influenced so many other bands that came after it and so many bands that I love uh, that came after. And, and I think that's kind of how I found them first. So yeah, uh, REM replacements, Flaming you, Lips, Yola Tango. So did you find them from uh, Peter Buck from our, cause I know Peter Buck used to really champion them and say that they were a big influence on them. It, it might have very well been. Uh, I was reading an article about him, and he said something about you know Robin Hitchcock at the time. And this would have been, like I said, Fegmania time here, so '85 or so. Right. So I jump into Fegmania, and then I go backwards to the Soft Boys. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. So you, so this is early '80s, right? Yeah, uh, mid '80s. Yeah, uh, but yeah, '85 I think is when uh, Figmania come, comes out somewhere in there. Right. Okay. So the, yeah, and because this one came out in '80, in June 1980, and right. a few things that I read about it that just kind of blew my mind. The first thing was that they were done basically the recordings were done on a four and an eight tracks uh, for only 600 pounds uh, to make the whole record. Uh, that's mostly true. Uh, it depends on who you talk about. Oh, okay. One is 600 pounds, one is 1,000 pounds. But still, the the thing was done super cheap. And it was three different studios, uh, some of it four-track, like the first one's four-track, some of it eight-track, and a couple tunes on a 16-track. But in general, okay. just very lo-fi, um, very cheaply done. You know, they rehearsed in some shitty little place in London and then uh, went to two places in London and one place in Cambridge to kind of polish this all off. But yeah, done for at most a thousand pounds. Right, right, right. On the cheap. And yeah, the the one amazing thing to me is that it came out in 1980, you know, recorded obviously, you know, the working on it in the late 70s. It sounds so good. I mean, it really just sounds great, especially the uh, guitars. I mean, for me, 
I love the guitar. This is my guitar sound that I love. It's just they're 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 in your face. They're sharp, but they, they just sound great. They do. I totally agree. It's the double guitars. It's Kimberly Rue and Robin playing. And you know, I have to say that this is probably the best guitar that Robin's on from here on out. Just and I think Kimberly kind of pushes them. Right. And Kimberly's a really good guitarist to start with. You know, he starts off. Kimberly Rue is uh, starts off in the waves, and he ends up. That turns into Katrina waves later on when they break up. But uh, he's just a fabulous guitarist, and I just love the sound, just like you. It's just a heavy, hard-hitting guitar sound all through the album, you know, and it just dominates it. And, you know, they don't put a lot of effects on, so right, that's right, what I think exactly. makes it timeless. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot of shitty music coming out around 1980, 81. You know, this is when the synths start taking over, and, you know, this one just stand, stands as timeless to me. It, it is. And so the other crazy thing that I read about uh, that, that to me is nuts is that it was initially when it came out, it was, it was not uh, successful at all. <laughs> no one liked this record, especially in the UK, I guess any uh, minor success they got from it was more uh, as an export here in, uh, in the U S but uh, initially it was not successful at all commercially in the UK. I've got some thoughts about that. And this is from interviews I listened to Rob and like, why is that the case? But first of all, you're right. Absolutely. There was more sold on exports to the U S than there was in his native Britain, you know? And right. um, a lot of it, uh, I think might've gone from people like Peter Buck that worked, you know, in a record store in Athens and those sort of folks picking it up and saying, Hey, you know, you should try this one out uh, to the people that go in the record stores. And, you know, I found a lot of a lot of music that way too. Right, right. I, mean, so I think a lot of the a, a lot of the export uh, stuff uh, in the U.S. is what sold this more, and even both of those put together weren't enough to really keep the band together. You know, at the end of the day, uh, how this band end is one of the things you always wonder about, and and really there wasn't any big row. You know, there wasn't a, a Mick Jones. Like, we're going to fire the good guy from the band and then it just all goes to shit. Right. Or there's not a Yoko in it. They just couldn't make enough money off of it. So they kind of go their separate ways. But back to the the, the Brit. Why did this not sell in Britain? I think that they were still in, in Britain getting over the initial bands that this kind of pulls from. You know, the Beatles, the the Birds. The, the Birds, um, right. Yeah. Um, and, and the Kinks and some of the other bands that this kind of pulls from. They're only, you know, a couple, six, seven years out of the mix. And there's still this, I don't know, this hangover from the first time these bands came through. You know, uh, Beefheart's not well known, and there's definitely some Beefheart in here. But early Floyd, you know, you're going to say, I'm going to say Sid Barrett a dozen times in this. But... Oh, of course. Yeah, right. Well, that's so. That's the one thing uh, Robin Hitchcock throughout his career. And, you know, he's yeah. a great, what a great songwriter. But you could just tell he, he was someone that loved and just sort of, uh, you know, um, just uh, zoomed in on Sid, especially Sid or Pink Floyd and Sid Barrett. And definitely like a, a kindred spirit, I would say. Oh, absolutely. He's just as quirky. Right. You know, luckily he had a much longer career. Sid only had a couple, three years, you know, two, uh, two albums and then one piece to meal together but um and you you covered that you know uh corby de did that uh barrett um madcap laughs and then roger miller did piper at the gates of dawn so you already had those episodes i went back and actually 
Corey mentions the soft boys in that episode because I was listening just to get a background on on it. But uh, yeah, I think that you know Britain back to the point is was still you know not quite ready for this. Right. You know, they weren't quite right. ready for this band. It was like the first, like Kimberly Rue said, this is the first time we started revamping or reusing some rock and roll stuff for, you know, a new version of rock and roll. And they weren't quite ready for that in, in England. And, and even in America, it took four or five years for them to catch up, you know, and by the mid 80s, they were totally ready for this. But uh, in the early 80s, this is just not quite what's what's happening either place. They're They're kind of a... You know, out of sync band that you love now, but at the time just was out of sync. And I think of bands like the New York Dolls, Big Star, Modern Lovers, all kind of the same sort of thing happens. You know, great album and looking back, it's great, but they just weren't quite at the right time. And I think that's what happened to the Soft Boys, too. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, the the whole out of sync thing. Yeah, because there were when you think about it, there were like like bands that were sort of king in on the punk thing and they sort of got more traction in a way, but there was a great, there's a great quote by um, Robin Hitchcock from the time. He said, uh, when talking about them, the soft boys, he said, we were all a bunch of very non-confrontational uptight middle-class kids. Uh, when everyone else was throwing beer glasses at the stage and putting safety pins through their noses, all we wanted to do was eat a cucumber sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. He comes from a middle-class and he, he said that my three influences are Doctor Who, Bob Dylan, P.G. Wodehouse characters like Bert, Bertie Wooster, which is kind of an English Twitter of the Year sort of guy. But, uh, yeah, he, he is not like, uh, you know, the the gobsmacking sort of punks. He, he evolves very quickly. I mean, this has got a hard-hitting sound, but it's more of a hard-hitting rock and roll sound as right. opposed to uh, pure punk. You know, and he evolves, you know, like uh, Kindred Spirits, like uh, – the damned evolve and XTC kind of evolve out of this. And, you know, there's, there's quite a few bands that start off as almost lumped in with punk, but they don't end up there. You oh, know, right. Uh, right. Yeah. For sure. Stranglers, Arubu, yes. uh, all those bands kind of start off in that area, but they quickly make their own, make their own path. The other thing I was going to say is he also reminds me a little of Jonathan Richmond. Like I mentioned the modern lovers, they have that one great album. And then John Rich- Richmond kind of goes off and does his solo thing. Right, right. For years yeah. and years. And so it's kind of like that, too. Yeah, no, that's good. And it's just, yeah, at, at the end of the day, it's so crazy to me that a band could put together a record this good with so many good songs and then just break up after. And then that's that's kind of it. It's like it's mind boggling. You know, they didn't have a chance to make some shitty records or anything like that. It was just a great record. Well, would you, that's it. would you want them to do a cut the crap or something like that? No, 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 no. no. Of course not. No, but course but not. I would say this, you know, they come out with um, after this, they come out with uh, uh, Invisible Hits. And if you kludge that together with all the extra songs they put on there, they had another good record in them. I mean, a, a really good, I don't know about as, as good as this one, but if you if you take some of those outtakes and some of those other um, bonus tracks, they're, they're pretty fucking good. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, at the yeah. end of the day, Robin Hitchcock is a great songwriter, just yeah. really uh, unique. He has his own style. And uh, so we should m- mention real quick, you got Matthew Seligman, uh, the bass player, and Morris Windsor on drums. And we didn't mention uh, Kimberly Rue. Well, you, you mentioned, I guess, yeah, he, he ended up uh, Katrina and the Waves. He played through a longtime member of them. And he wrote Walking on Sunshine, their huge hit. That's He, he wrote that. Right. And uh, also uh, going down to Liverpool. He helped her write that one too. Oh, okay, okay. So, nice. yeah, so he goes off and does that one song. <laughs> and actually, you know, the Katrina Waves thing is a whole different thing, but he starts off in a band called The Waves that has the, the, the beginnings of that band. Then uh, 
Robin goes to Cambridge and kind of recruits the best guys. And for for the first album, he keeps some of them. The, the players change a little bit. Um, you know, the Matthew Seligman on this is a different uh, bassist. Sandy Metcalf on the first album. But he kind of picked the best at Cambridge because he said, I can't quite cut it in London. London's too big. Oh, right, you know, right, it's right. more of a punk thing at the time. So he goes to Cambridge, which he knows, ironically, you know, kind of a part of a base of uh, Sid Barrett, too. But anyways, um, that's where he pulls together the band, you know, and he he uh, has Pat, Pat Collier from the Vibrators uh, do most of the production on this. Oh, yeah, that that's right. That's right. I saw that. And uh, yeah, like I said, it just uh, it just sounds great in your face, but not just a little different than you know than other things that were coming out at the time. But uh, but still, uh, bangers. Let's let's uh, let's start out already. The first song is like such a great opener for an album, uh, and it's kind of like a mission statement too. Uh, yeah. In in a way, right? Uh, let's listen to uh, "I Want to Destroy You." So great. And then we didn't make it to the second verse, but I love the second verse because it's so timely, you know, uh, a, a pox upon the media and everything you read. They tell you your opinions and they're very good indeed. Um, yeah, look at that. Talking about the media and all that uh, in uh, 1980. That's that's my favorite line out of this whole song. You know, I, I, it's, a, it's a banger coming right on with the you know, double vocals, double guitar. It just hits you right in the face. And uh, he's talking like from the third person too about this. Like, this is two countries going to war, and there's a, a common theme that he has across a lot of his music, and it's about peace and you know how stupid it is and politics are stupid about uh, right, right. thinking that they can you know kill people for peace, you know. But but anyway, um, this song, what I like about it so much is uh, just the the blend of semi punk, but then it's got kind of the hippie. The hippie sort of peace not war sort of thing blended together and uh you know it's only less than two and a half minutes so the thing that kind of happened it's not a punk song it, it, kimberly said they're kind of taking the piss on making this a punk punk song but it's it's short it's angry so it has a lot of that you know they're 25 26 when they're making these songs so they still have that young piss and vinegar in them uh as far as young people right, right. 
Yeah, but uh, yeah, it, it's a totally, they're coming at it from a different angle because if a band like the Sex Pistols had a song, I Want to Destroy You, like Johnny Rotten would be singing like, I really want to uh, destroy you, you know? And uh, yeah, yeah. And the yeah, irony, yeah, there one. wouldn't be the, <laughs> so much irony that's here. Yeah, I, I got to say that he's a very, Hitchcock's a very clever writer and it gets better and better. His lyrics get more and more subtle and they're they're very witty and funny. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, you just got to pull that out of it once you read them. But when you hear his like acoustic stuff, you can definitely hear more of it. He gets better at it, like I said, as as time goes on. But it's in here. It's in this whole album, too. Yeah, it's great. And and I, I will say this song, I knew this song way before I knew who the Soft Boys were, before I knew Robin Hitchcock, because I remember I must have taped it off some radio show, maybe Radio Free Living Room. We, we used to have this show here uh, that was like a weekly oh, really? show. Yeah. In, uh, well, here, I'm in California now. This was in South Florida. But, um, and, and I had this on tape, and you know how you'd make mixtapes, and I think I would dub it onto yeah. other. Whenever I'd make a mixtape, I'd put this on there. But I never knew who it was till later. And then later I became a Robin Hitchcock fan, and I realized, oh, shit that's the guy <laughs> and yeah. then i got this album but yeah there's a couple covers of it too yola tango uncle tupelo and even the replacements yes. did a cover of it yeah 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 great uh yeah yeah there's a lot actually uh, a lot of bands uh through the years have covered uh songs including uh, this next one just because you know there's so many good songs and like i said especially the first five or six songs on this record is just like banger after banger after banger the second one kind of you know i, I love how a lot of the, there's a lot of love songs sort of on this record but they're not none of them are real real love songs real traditional love songs they all have this, <laughs> not uh, at all <laughs> right and that's definitely uh yeah that's definitely true for this next one here let's listen to a little bit of kingdom of love Just that sound, that guitar sound in that little bridge there is just like so great. It's so perfect. Isn't it? And, and the song even has a second part, you know, where they kick in the chorus in high gear. That's awesome, too. You yeah. know, it's almost like two two parts of the song. And this would be a good album if they just had that in there. But what makes it an awesome album is how they blend in two songs into one. You know, they change it up. And, and there's no song. There's one song like a little over four minutes. But there's no... There's no filler on us at all. No. You know? Yeah. Uh, I, I love the slinky bass. And uh, once again, you got to go back to how good the rhythm section is on this band, you know, out of this band. You know, both uh, Matt Seligman and, and uh, Windsor are, are just awesome. This is probably the best rhythm section that he ever has in the band, um, you know, going forward, even even with compared to, uh, you know, the Egyptians. 
Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. It's just it's, it, this is before uh, Pro Tools and before all that, before Click Tracks and everything. And these guys, they're just locked in on these songs. It's like it's so great. And yeah, what kind of a love? It's called Kingdom of Love, but it's, uh, you've been laying eggs under my skin. Now they're hatching out under my chin. Now there's tiny insects showing through, and all them tiny insects look like you. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> you wonder why he never lyrics. made it in the top 10 you know right. <laughs> <laughs> how did that not happen it's well great. you know he starts off with a kind of a great song you know the musically it's great but you start listening to it and everybody just gives you a weird look and you know uh and, and then it goes into a little bit of an obsession you know he's fixated on this girl or is he smitten with her just superficially you know he's tracking her but he goes about you're under my skin and I always think of the the that puts it much better, like you're under my skin where the rain can't get in, which is an elegant one. But no, Robin goes, I've got tiny insects yeah, that look like tiny. you hatching out of my face. Yep. Wow. What a romantic. I know. What a vision. <laughs> but it's kind of a it's it's kind of a theme for this whole album of not exactly normal, you know, men woman relationships. Oh, you know? right, right, yeah. For sure. Everything he rocks about, he, he everything he, he talks about are, you know, sex, vegetables, uh, death and insects. <laughs> kind yep. of like the four <laughs> things that keep on popping up for him. Right. All right, so now we got another. Uh, this is a this is like a pop banger, a positive uh, vibrations, and it's like surprisingly, all of a sudden towards the end, it's got some sitar. I guess uh, Andy King's playing some uh, sitar that that sort of jumps out of left field, but it's, uh, it's such a great song. Let's listen to positive vibrations. <laughs> So great. And I'm going to play a little uh, underneath after the sitar part because it's really great and it comes in towards the end. But, you know, one thing I noticed about this, you listen to the song and you think, oh, it's really heavy. But the guitars, just the one thing I feel like R.E.M. really picked up on, they're jangly. The guitars are jangly, but they are but they end up being heavy the way it's presented. It's got this heaviness to it, but it's completely different than a distorted, you know, the distorted, uh, you know, punk guitar that that you're used to. You know, like the, right. the Clash and the Sex Pistols. It's, it's like jangly, but it's still like in your face and heavy. So I was trying to find the right R.E.M. song that this starts off like, because they totally stole from this song. Closest I could find was Pretty Persuasion off pretty the record. Pretty Persuasion reckoning, but, was, uh, was what, uh, what I was thinking. Yeah, but you're right. You could see where, you know, three, four years from now, Peter Buck's been listening to this over and over again. And, and you know, besides the sitar solo in the middle, <laughs> which yeah. they, uh, they avoid, uh, you can totally hear them in that. Yeah, so this song, I have to say it's my least favorite song on the album. Although, really? Really? Really, yeah. Wow. And I just, uh, I, I don't know why. 
because maybe because everything else is just so great, but it's just my least favorite. I wouldn't say I hate it. I, I don't even dislike it. It's uh, it's like, you know, you've got almost perfect. Album. It's like, what's your least favorite al- uh, song on, on London calling. But the, the thing I noticed about the lyrics is this is again about going that, you know, there you go. Killing for peace again. So it's not a hippie good vibrations. It's more of like, we're trying to be positive, but we've just run off, gone through all the shit in the seventies with whether, and this is the beginning of, and I, I don't know if the timing's right of Thatcher's in and, and Reagan and Erna are already, I think they both started in 1980. Um, so it's the beginning of the end of, uh, you know, there's, there's suppression on both sides of the, of the Atlantic on that one. Right. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, they're just trying to be as positive as they can on this song saying, you know, there you go killing the lamb, but don't you know, that's still the plan. A- anyway, I think, yeah, this is a very good song. I like it, and I like how it influenced so many other bands that we really like. Oh, yeah, for sure. And they weren't even shy. I I like the fact that it wasn't, you know, it's fine to lift stuff on bands you love, but uh, I love Peter Buck was a big ch- champion of them and never, you know, never uh, shied away from saying, oh, yeah, I, I really love this record, and I definitely got a, lot of, uh, got a lot of shit from it, which is great. Right. It's just like Robin saying the same thing about Sid Barrett. You know, he was not shy about it. Exactly, oh, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right, so I got the hots. We had mentioned the uh, Stranglers, and this definitely got like, this is like a nasty little uh, tune to me and very reminiscent of the Stranglers when they would get in that same vibe. But uh, irony, there's always the little irony. It's just him, Robin Hitchcock, and his delivery. I mean, even when he tries to sound sinister, it's not, uh, you know... It's still. It doesn't still come him. off. Yeah. Not totally, right. but it's still. But it's great. I love it. Let's just do a little bit of. I got the hots. specifically there's a strangler song peaches uh that came out you know earlier like in 77 but i gotta feel like um robin hitchcock was playing on that a little and playing that up because if you hear peaches definitely there's the same vibe going on Stranglers were recording in one of the studios. I don't know if the timing's right, though. It might have been one of their later albums, but they might have run across them. But certainly they were listening to them. I mean, who wouldn't be? Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> and, um, so this phrase, I got the hots for you, came from a guy that used to play with um, in a band, 
that remember they started as Dennis and the experts before they were uh, the soft boys. And um, a guy that played in that band, Rob Lamb, uh, started another band uh, with a guy named Adrian Hotz Foster. And he always used to say, his nickname was Hotz. So he always used to say, I got the Hotz for you. So they got it from this guy, Adrian, that was in a band called Ducks on the Wall uh, that they played around with and was in the Cambridge circuit. I don't know how big that circuit was, but that's kind of where they got the phrase from. Oh, okay. Okay, nice. Yeah, and then (laughs) once again, uh, cool as this song is, you can't pick weirder lyrics said the curry to the corpse <laughs> oh yeah yeah you know, <laughs> it said the tide of filth to the bleach i got the hops for you i mean right. i get what you're getting at but really <laughs> yeah but uh specifically also i never realized until i read the lyrics that he said uh, said the dentures uh, to the peach and that's why like i said this is the stranger song peaches so i gotta feel that's a little nod he did to them uh, i wonder yeah that's peaches, a good call so. i didn't notice that till you mentioned it <laughs> and the other funny part of this is the vicar to the waitress yeah <laughs> Just in the middle of it. Yeah, the best thing about you is your waist. <laughs> says, Wait till you see the statues in my bathroom. Yep. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I think I we know what it means. Yeah. And he sort of keeps the vibe going on with this next one, insanely jealous. Again, like he's uh, like you were saying, it's like these little maybe they're love type songs, but definitely uh, from a you know a little twisted angle. Uh, and you get that here too. Let's listen to a little bit of insanely jealous. Walking down the street, me, I'm just invisible, and who or what she walks with makes no difference to me. The people that she meets, she turns them into sideshows, they're just here for their amusement. That's not what I want to be, but I'm insanely jealous of you. Yeah, I'm insanely jealous of you. The night is black and thick, I wander past your window, and I catch a cigarette thrown from a jewel encrusted hand. It comes on pretty quick. Exactly like a crocodile in search of a mirage across the undulating sand But I'm insanely jealous of you Yeah, I'm insanely jealous of you I don't know why the people want to meet When all they know is that they'll breed like rabbits in the end Cause ordinary people on the street, they never know But if they can't be rabbits, they'll be friends And I'm insanely jealous of the people that you see Insanely jealous of the people that aren't me. I'm insanely jealous of you. Yeah, I'm insanely jealous of you. Yeah, it's great. And you know, one thing uh, we didn't mention uh, that I also noticed, there are a lot of, in the dual guitar playing, I hear a television too. I hear some television, you know, great, uh, you know, Tom Verlaine and, and, and that. And I hear that in their interplay sometimes, the guitar interplay. I totally, I totally agree with you. As a matter of fact, I wrote that down for this song. I think that's the song plays on that the best, where they yeah. play off of each other. And I think, like I said, I wish you know they'd have stuck together because I think Kimberly really pushed Robin on it on the guitar side, and that's what makes this album so great. They kind of you know go back and forth on a lot of this, especially as this song kind of builds. It goes kind of batshit crazy, you know, as it gets yes. on. You know, it, yeah, it, yeah. The, 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 the lyrics kind of match the music, and yep. it goes insanely jealous more and more. And then it just kind of hits a crescendo. It's just very, you know, and of course, once again, Morris Windsor and Matt Seligman make a lot of this song so good. It's just the rhythm set. You know? Yeah. It's just so awesome. Good. 
So good. This is one of uh, his favorite, my favorite out of all Robin Hitler. I don't know when I read this, but he's got five favorite songs. This is one of his five favorites he's ever written. Again, this is an unhealthy relationship right, about right. a woman he's uh, stalking, watching. You know, he's picking up uh, her. Uh, it's a femme fatale, which she's got a, a hard carapace, you know. So, you know, it's it's one of those things that, uh, you know, I, I, it's just not just not healthy. Right. You know, he's watching it from a distance. Yep. He's insanely jealous of, like, the stuff between the feet. Odd. Yeah. But it's so well done. My favorite line, of course, is that the people breed like rabbits to become friends. That's just hilarious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we flip, like we mentioned, it's just, uh, it, it's great in its brevity, too, because there, it's pretty much all killer, no filler. You got five songs in the first side. Now we flip it over side two. Tonight, I love this song. And this is a song that's kind of like a sleeper because even though I remember I had this album at one time and I loved it. I, I don't remember now I like really love this song and say, wow, this is a great song and maybe it didn't stand out to me as much. Um, but let's listen to a little bit of Tonight. going a little more because I love this song it takes its time and then finally you get to that uh, this chorus and it's really nice and pretty but it's like halfway through the song when you finally get the payoff to, to the chorus it's almost like you said like before it's almost like two they took two cool songs and sort of melded them together I, I totally agree and that's common you know, amongst a, a lot of the, al- uh, the album here that it starts off and, and that first part would have been good but they really make it great with right, the second right. part Yep. And and I do agree. This is kind of a sleeper. It really, you know, as I was listening to this over and over again, this is the song that started sticking in my head a lot. Yeah. And yeah. I thought, this is just kind of a straightforward pop song. There's nothing too weird about it. And if you change the lyrics a little bit, it could have been, you know, Tom Petty could have wrote this or something right. like that and done well with it. <laughs> right. right. It's not that weird. Yeah. Until he says, you know, I'll be there with my very long nose. He right. takes <laughs> it takes a lot of poetic license sometimes, you know, sometimes. 
Yeah, Robin will rhyme something that makes no sense, and you're going, well, why the fuck did he do that? Well, because it rhymes with goes. Yeah, yeah, well, that's what I love. Yeah, that's one thing I really love with him as a songwriter. It's almost like you could say it's like Brave, because he'll go for it. He'll go for the rhyme just because it sounds so perfect and cool, but don't think about if it makes sense, because it will not make sense, but it just sounds really good when he does that. And I think, yeah, I, I, I listened to an interview with him. He's like, he doesn't overthink his songs. He does... You know, he works on a song and he moves on to the next one. That's so good. he doesn't <laughs> he didn't fiddle with a song for for months on end to get the lyrics perfect. It's almost like you know you have the filler lyrics that you put in, you know, like the Beatles did, and then you figure and, later on you'll you'll yeah, clean them yeah. up. Yeah, well he only. <laughs> <laughs> he's good with the first run <laughs> he is that's great I, yeah. I love that yeah. and uh before we get to the next one which is an instrumental which is cool because it's uh it's credited to all of them writing and it's just a cool little instrumental i just want to mention that i got this and you can too they have a band camp you go to band camp do the soft boys and it's it's such a good deal it's like 10 bucks you can get the download for the um re-release of this with extra it's got 40 tracks all together it's got 40 it's got rehearsal stuff it's got outtakes it's got all different and stuff like 40 for 10 bucks it's like such a good deal so uh i would recommend anyone going and getting that while we're on that don't let me forget maybe you can put this on the end some of those tracks are as good as anything on this album yeah yeah there's great stuff on there 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 is it's just so great and it's such a good value yeah i know i know you're going (laughs) jesus christ how come this didn't make it on you know a third album you could have put together i mean they came out with invisible hits but if you had a it's just tragic, you know. It's one of those things you go, I'm happy with what I got, but could they have done one more? And right, maybe it right. turned out as good, or maybe not. Right. All right, but uh, like I said, I got a little instrumental here. I'll play a little bit of You'll Have to Go Sideways. It's, it's just like a cool little jam. I guess Kimberly Rue is playing synth, playing some synthesizer on there, building up, and it's uh, it's cool. Yeah, he. Um, I guess in the studio they had a mini Moog they just bought, and the engineer Mike Kemp. You know, they were they were doing a. This is the one of the ones they did sixteen track. He's like, hey, you got some extra tracks? Can I just press a couple buttons here on this mini Moog? And it gives it a much bigger flavor than just the you know just the guitar riff. You know, it starts off with almost like a a weird suicide sound on it. But then it kind of goes to more normal, somewhere between Gary Newman and the cars with the synthesizer. You know, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Um, uh, the other thing is, you know, almost, I wouldn't say almost every album, but a lot of his great albums have at least one instrumental. So I often dream of trains. Uh, this is Robin's 
solo stuff um has a nocturne on it which is awesome yeah, and then yeah, yeah. same with a uh, chinese water python from i and then he just came out uh last year with uh, life after infinity which is all um all instrumentals and that's very good Great. I mean, he's still making music, and I've seen, I, I saw some really recent videos of him playing, and he's just great. He's still doing it and playing, and I give him so much credit because it's great. Yeah, he's 70. Go, you know, he has same, he has same birthday as me. He's 70. He's touring right now. Uh, he just finished a, like a Sid Barrett uh, tribute not too long ago in San Francisco. So, yeah, he's still, he's still got it. And nice. this is still good stuff. Uh, 26 albums, if you throw the three you know, the three soft boys into it, you know, right. and usually after about album four or five on most artists, you're just like, eh, you know, they're putting out another one. Who cares? And, and yeah. And, and like only the real hardcore fans would be even interested in it. But yeah, yeah. It, it's like all good stuff. It's all good. All right. So we get again, he, they revisit the lecherous old pervert. It's basically like a, a blue. If you listen to this, it's like a, a traditional blue song, the way it's uh, structured. But uh, again, just really uh, twisted lyrics. Uh, I mean, what do you expect? The song's called Old Pervert. So right there, that's what we were talking about. I mean, he just clearly, I hang on under the bridge. I'll do, uh, I would do you no harm. I just want to show you what's in the fridge. And then, so come on, little girl. <laughs> Is your name Hester? Or maybe it's Midge. He just wants to rhyme <laughs> all those things with bridge. I know. <laughs> Uh, and I'm wondering why he doesn't play this song anymore. <laughs> well, it, it's great. Uh, obviously, this is what you were talking about when you said uh, a Captain Beefheart, because the beginning of it, it sounds like it could oh, be yeah. a Captain Beefheart, right? The, the music. Yeah, an early Beefheart, too. You know, not the, like the 1980s stuff that he was putting out. Because I went back and listened. Like, what's it sound like? And actually, the closest this is like the Trout Mass rec- replica stuff. Yeah. You know? Uh, now, there is a reason this is one of the more controversial songs. It has nothing, oddly enough, than to do with the lyrics, it's what he did on the reissue. So Robin's notorious for taking a reissue and fucking with it. And sometimes, like on his Groovy D- uh, Decay album, that's good. This one, he took the B-side of I Want to Destroy You 
and put it back on on any reissue you got. So if you got the original album, there's a different version of this song than this one. This oh, one, okay. the hardcore folks call the disco version. And I'm thinking, yeah, this would be played <laughs> at Studio 54, right? But um, it has a very muddy sound to it. And so uh, quite a few years back, so people were trying to get, get this straight. And Morse Windsor, the drummer, found in his attic, like they often do, a, a set of uh, masters for a, a reissue, I think, by Yep Rock, to try to get this straight. So they sent it to Yep Rock, and apparently they didn't even uh, take the new or the better original version and put it back on. But you can kind of hear, if you take the 40 songs you were talking about, you can hear different versions of this yeah, yeah, that yeah. are better, that sound better. This one sounds a little muddy. Yeah, so it's controversial for more, more than one reason. But uh, the original one, if, and by the way, if you buy the original Armageddon uh, version of this or you find it, it's worth like 150, 150 euro, something like that. When I went to look you know, for this original version, I thought, oh, you know, I'll get that one. Nope. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's expensive because it's very rare in that they never reissued it or did a, it has a different version of this song and they never really reissued it again. I guess I don't know what happened to Armageddon Records, but uh, any version after that, unless I think you can get it, you can listen to it on YouTube. You can hear the original version on YouTube, too. Okay. Yeah. All right. So almost, bar- oh, like right towards the end of the record, uh, track number nine, you get the song, which I don't know. For me, this, I don't say too many songs are perfect songs, but Queen of Eyes, it's only uh, two minutes long, and it's a perfect song, I feel like. I totally agree. Yeah, it's a perfect song, and I got a couple other uh, comments about it, but let's listen to it a little bit first. Queen of Eyes. Blinking on and off, it's the Queen of Eyes With a carapace shell and her black-laced eyes I don't know why she never gets anywhere with you Mucky the pig is out on a limb He's looking for someone to investigate him I don't know why he never gets anywhere with you Here I am again, it's no surprise Locked in orbit round, the queen of eyes All I ever got from her was Oh my god, it's such a great song. And all right, it's pretty obvious that Robert Pollard was a big fan of this record. And yeah. right yeah. L- lyrically and musically, this could 100% be a, a guided by voices. Someone tell me why. Oh, I totally agree with you. Yeah, you, you nailed it. That, you know, we mentioned REM, but Oasis, Let's Active. Right. You know, there's lots of bands that, and, and this has such a, a bird's feel to it. But it's, like I said, uh, you know, this was like the first period or era where somebody started, they, they started reusing stuff that was only 10 years old. Right, like that, right, Maybe right. seven years old. But you're right, this is a perfect song to me. And, and I got it wrong on the lyrics I said mentioned early Carapace Shell on a, earlier song is this is the one with the carapace shell so oh right again yeah so so this is again not exactly a normal relationship it's a uh, a tough woman that's got a tough shell and she's got black laced eyes and 
you know, why does she, uh, why does she, I don't know why she never gets anywhere. And he really means why don't I ever get anywhere with her. Right. But again, it's kind of like the common theme running through this and uh, queen of eyes, you know, he plays this a lot uh, later on in his, in his career. Oh, of course. Why would you not? If, if this is my yeah. song, I, I would fucking play it every time I played live. I would play it. <laughs> and if you think about it, you know, you, you basically paid a uh, hundred bucks a song for, for these to be done. If that, you know, or right. for 60 bucks a song, <laughs> right. somewhere between that, like, it's crazy. God, could I have been on that? Yep. You know, those are just great. And, and uh, the, both the queen and the eyes themes pop up a lot in his music again, yes. over and over, you know, there's queen Elvis and, uh, um, all, all kinds of, like I said, there's all kinds of, uh, reoccurring themes that he brings back. You're right. Right. Queens and, and eyes come up a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we end uh, the the record proper, the original ten track uh, with the title track, "Underwater Moonlight," which is another. It's just a really, it's a really nice, pretty song. But all, even no matter how, even as nice, pretty songs, they all still have this little twist to them or this little edge to them. And this one has that too. Um, but still, it's such a great song. Let's listen to a little bit of "Underwater Moonlight." She was white and she was white as only statues are Fifty years they stood there looking stupid by a jar One night in mid-August when the moonlight got too strong They climbed off their pedestal and then they sang this song The gun emplacement and the bones as white as bleach Through the rats and ivy till they came out on a beach Out into the ocean till they disappeared from view Honey, when it gets you, there's just nothing you can do Underwater Sets the body free Underwater moonlight Baby, you and me Underwater Yeah, it's nice. I like the fact that he takes something that could be just a very common you know songwriter trope you know underwater moonlight seeing you know the moonlight from underwater but he just you know he just uses that as a jumping off point and you know one thing i always wondered is the when he's talking about the statues we're gonna do two statues are these the same statues that he said in the um in uh you know um wait till you see the statues in my bathroom from i got the hots oh yeah yeah that's a good <laughs> good call yeah i didn't put those two together but yeah yeah so this is like to me this is like Sid Barrett trying to do a Dylan song, you know, a story. Right, 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 right. With the weirdness of Sid Barrett. And then you have Richard Thompson on guitar, you know. (laughs) Uh, But this is just a strange one. And I love it because it's so weird. It's a good album closer. Me too. So it's like two statues become animated by this moonlight. They go out underwater and they do this octopus's garden thing, but everything's dark and then they die and then they come back. And then it's also about possibly. You know, just two old people that are going out and committing suicide in the water, too. 
Who knows? Well, yeah, and I kind of think that ties in because we didn't discuss it at all, and I couldn't find much information, but the cover, this has a really striking cover because it's two, like, mannequins, but they're sort of made up to be, like, an old couple on a, on the shore, and it's really it's a really striking cover. So It is. It, it's, um, it's the beginning of a long history of absolutely shitty covers that he has on all his albums. They're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I don't, I don't think this one's a terrible guy. I, I love this no, cover, I think- though. It's so goofy. But, okay. It's goofy. Uh, it does make me think, though, it's a couple from Underwater Moonlight, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, right. They're right. pale That's mannequins. And, and so that makes me think more. It's a, a couple after a long life together just decide to, you know, go drown themselves in the deep water and then the ghosts come back. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, actually, I'm looking at it now. Maybe you're thinking of the because he does have kind of bad fonts on them all. So maybe it's just the fonts you, you don't like. And the colors of the no, no, it's the whole album. I love the guy to death. But well, have you ever seen? He has another version that I have that he drew the cover to, and um, and one of the reissues, uh, Living Gravy, I guess, in the or uh, was it Living Cream? Sorry, came out with a, a cover that he redid for the a reissue that looks like this, and it's really cool. You know, he drew it. Oh, okay, and nice. it's um, it's awesome, but. I don't know. The only other band I can think of that has a consistently bad set of uh, album covers is Squeeze. You just can't love the band to death. But oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> they I just can can't come up with a good album cover. <laughs> well, you know. But anyways, you know, that's, that doesn't stop me from the music. It's got a very distinctive one. You know, everybody can recognize this from afar. Yeah. Right. So I, I like the fact that it's distinctive, but is it good? Eh, you wouldn't have it hanging up. You wouldn't have it framed and hanging up in your uh, bedroom. I, well, not now that I, not that I got the, the better version of it. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so uh, w- one thing I want to mention about this: um, they talk about the gun emplacements. You know, they go past the gun emplacements. So when Robin was a, a younger a lad, uh, this is you know post World War II, um, but somewhere between you know he lived in London, he lived in Cambridge, but. Uh, I forget which where he, he was talking about, but they used to have these World War II bunkers that the kids could play. In. You know, they were abandoned anti-aircraft bunkers from World War II, but that's kind of where he got that line from there. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you landed on this one. You know, it, it would have been fun to talk a Robin Hitchcock record, and I'm sure we could in the future at some time we will. But this was uh this is kind of like a real classic album that had to be that had to be done. And uh, I'm glad you did it. And just real quick, I just want to tell everyone out there, Tom's a good example. It's funny. Tom was joking about it to me because uh, when we had Mickey Berani on, he goes, well, I don't know if I'm famous enough to keep being on the show. Tom Tom is just a <laughs> huge music fan. He is not a musician. He's nothing like that. But he's been, he's been a fan of this show for years now. And he's been a patron of the show. And I appreciate it. And he's great. And he loves music. And of course, I'll, we'll have Tom on. You don't have to, you know, he's just a normal guy that loves music right tom <laughs> it's just like everybody else on the show i just not famous <laughs> uh, there you go <laughs> oh i do want to mention one thing before we leave the album okay. uh my two favorites from the additionals are only the stones remain an empty girl if you could oh okay i don't know if you can fit them in there anywhere just a, a few seconds of them but those are great so they were worthy of being on an old, their own album they just didn't cut it right. you know and and he even does a great version of vegetable man and he's got know, the vegetable man of, yeah yeah which i'm sure yeah which which is great you know heard that as well but yeah we'll get all those in there and uh yeah like i i can't uh recommend enough just going to band camp and just getting the whole damn thing 10 bucks man what a deal you, you can't oh, yeah. pay more for it so you should you should pay at least 15 20 bucks because it's definitely 
Yeah, I, I was amazed that it took what what episode are we on now? Three three thirty something. Three thirty. Three thirty something. Yep. Yeah, that it took this long to get to anything in Robin Hitchcock. I mean, not that you have. I mean, the stuff around it's great too. It's just uh, it's part of my canon. You yep. know, I it, it would be one of my you know first ten that I did. Yes, yes, uh, and I think yeah, a lot of uh, listeners to the show agree totally. Don't forget, everyone, if you want to keep uh, supporting me, the best way to do it is, like Tom did many years ago, go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH. You can become a patron of the show. You could also follow us on Instagram and Facebook. It's at that record got me high. On X, it's at TRGMH podcast. You can email me with all your questions, all your complaints, whatever you have, TRGMH33 at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe, especially it's important now to really, whatever you're listening to me on, because I know you're not listening to me on that evil streaming service, because you can't, uh, subscribe whatever you listen to, and uh, that would really help out. Write a review if you're feeling a special, uh, especially saucy, you can do that. But uh, really, I appreciate everyone listening. Tom, as always, it's a pleasure. Hopefully next time we'll be able to do it in person again. Maybe we'll have to I hope so. fly you out here, or I'll fly out before. And a pox upon that specific media. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. right. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, everyone, for listening. All right, thanks, Rob. I'm Rob Elba. We'll see you all next week. Bye.